Hello and welcome to Comic Book Herald Interviews. I'm Dave Busing, founder and editor-in-chief of ComicBookHerald.com. Today, I'm very excited to be joined by Vivek Tuwari. Vivek Tuwari is the author of the award-winning The Fifth Beetle with Andrew Robinson and Kyle Baker, now in line for a 10-year anniversary edition from Dark Horse Comics, as well as the award-winning producer of Broadway hits like Green Day's American Idiot and Jagged Little Pill, based on the Alanis Morissette album, uh, currently the lead producer of Jagged Little Pill, and a bunch of other cool projects coming up. I think uh, Potential Contract with God, Will Eisner's Contract with God, musical in the works, so I definitely want to talk about that. Um, but Vivek, I, I want to kick off by saying, like, you're definitely, you're, like, one of the coolest <laughs> writers I've ever had oh on God. for a graphic novel because of all this Broadway experience as well. So I think That's for folks great. who, like, don't know your background um, and, and don't know, like, kind of where you're coming from, you know, just live in the world of comics, which is obviously what we talk about all the time. Like, how did you, how did you find your way from the world of Broadway to comics and back again? Yeah, I mean, look, I, I have loved comics ever since I was a kid. Uh, you know, I often say I, I think I learned to read by reading comics. My earliest memories are reading uh, Tintin and Asterix with my mom. Uh, you know, so so comics have, are very near and dear to my heart. I grew up in New York City, and uh, I would say as much as I love comics, I would say move, music was my first love. Uh, you yeah. know, ever since I was a lot out of the house on my own, we grew up on 12th Street. I was going downtown to see punk rock shows and early Sonic Youth shows and uh, oh, nice, Ramones yeah. at CBs and, you know, CBGB. Oh, okay. You know, I was very fortunate to uh, to have, have caught some some pretty legendary um, moments in, in the New York downtown music scene. And uh, my parents loved the arts and they would similarly take me uptown to see Broadway shows and ballet and opera. And so I grew up with this incredibly well-rounded love of the arts um, really due to my parents and, and, to, and to New York City. And, and, yeah. and um, in the backdrop of all of that was a deep love of comics. So in a lot of ways, I'm, I'm really just, um, I'm very proud and humble to say that I'm living my dreams. I mean, I really am, you know? Ever since I was a little kid, my, my dreams were to bring all these worlds together and to find a way to work in all these worlds. And, you know, now that I'm not a kid, you know, the way I describe what I do is I'm, a, I'm really at heart a storyteller through music. You know, music yeah. is core to everything we do. You know, our, our overarching mission, the way I describe it, I know this sounds awfully poetic and, and cheesy perhaps, but we seek to shift the paradigm for music and entertainment. And really what that means is we just try to present music to the world in as many different ways and exciting and interesting ways as possible. And whether that's hmm. through graphic novels or through Broadway shows or through film and television or through something else altogether, that all fits in, in what I strive to do and what I love to do. So for me, I, hmm. I never thought about it in the way that you said, like, it, it wasn't, I never thought that, like, I'm at Broadway and now I'm writing a comic and now I'm back at Broadway and now I'm making a film. Right. You know, I always saw these things as kind of the same thing, really, you know? You're just telling stories, but the mediums are, are exactly different, right. right? They're changing. And if yeah. there is a yeah, common thread in all of them, it's music. You know, there is music yeah. component. And even the graphic novel, you know, obviously it, it's it's a static medium uh, or somewhat static. I mean, I guess now we have motion comics and things like that. But, um, but you know, it, but it, it, people don't think of graphic novels as being an audio medium. Um, but even that, right. you know, it's a, it's a book of obviously about the Beatles manager and about the birth of the Beatles. And so, so all my projects have some go back to music in some way. Yeah, no, that's cool. What were, what like is your most memorable like New York punk scene concert oh, or gosh. like one or two that you, that are like your favorites? Yeah. I mean, you know, um, 
these bands may not mean much to uh, to your uh, to your audience, depending on who's listening. That's fine. Uh, but yeah. There was a concert I saw that uh, with um, Murphy's Law, Sick of It All, and a band called Underdog. It was a very short okay. like, New York City punk rock band, and and those those or hardcore, I guess, is what uh, it's probably a better better term for it. But that was a very special concert, and uh, I also saw. Um, leeway open for the bad brains who were opening up for the red hot chili peppers and that's okay, the amazing yeah. concert uh, yeah so those are probably the ones that are, are closest to my heart from from back in those days but look there's so many i mean we could talk for a whole hour uh, <laughs> yeah, you know yeah. i was really uh, I, I like to say like i might be old but i did get to see a lot of great bands <laughs> you know, like, yeah no for sure that's i'm i'm super jealous those sound like amazing shows to have been at oh, um yeah. that's awesome there, there was a yeah. long time where i could say that i saw every single one of my favorite bands play at small clubs you know Cause, yeah because uh, that's just what it was like back then you know yeah which is the best experience right you want that intimate like close setting as opposed to right stadium vibes and things that that they're going to be doing now um i love it no it's it's super cool it it does bring to mind too like definitely the way that you and andrew robinson are able to convey in the fifth beetle the, the experience of seeing the beatles for the first time for example like in these small liverpool clubs um now i'm curious you know you you obviously you have you brought american idiot with green day to to broadway you have the fifth beetle here this award-winning graphic novel was and then at the heart of this you know i'm, I'm bearing the lead like it's the story of brian epstein right it's the story of the beatles manager it's the story of you know the fifth beetle um this this incredibly important uh individual in beatles lore right and and in their career who was this gay jewish man um at times when that was like i mean not that it's easy now but like man like it was literally criminalized uh as the beatles were getting big um to be queer in in england at the time uh was that like was it were were you always thinking this is a, a comic story for me because like you've been doing reporting for this for a long time was it hey there's a musical here but the rights like Beatles rights are impossible like kind of what was the calculus yeah. in terms of like bringing it to yeah, life yeah look I mean you know so the, the book as as uh as you know we're very proud that we're celebrating our 10-year anniversary of the book in November and you know uh, it takes a long time to write a graphic novel so we were working on it a good five years before that and uh you know I was researching it for several years before that so literally I yeah. mean I've been I've been tracking Brian Epstein's life and and working on on this project in some way really for 20 years now I mean you know so I discovered this story um when I was in college you know and, and in business school and I was dreaming about doing the things that we were just talking about you know about working right. in entertainment with a focus on music and I thought I should study the lives of the great music uh entrepreneurs and business people i did play some drums and percussion but i was never i always say i was i respect the instrument too much to ever call myself a drummer so i always knew my path was to be behind <laughs> yeah. the scenes um so you know that's what i being a lifelong beatles fan that's what led me to a study of brian epstein and as you said he was gay and jewish and from liverpool at a time where all where those were three tremendous obstacles i mean you know, mm-hmm. it was against the law to be gay anti-Semitism is far more rampant in the country than it is today. It's still a problem today, but it was much worse back then. And Liverpool, yeah. before the Beatles, is a town that no one is looking to for anything cultural or artistic. I mean, it had and still has two very important football clubs, but that was the, but there was nothing going on artistically that people were thinking the next big international band is coming out of Liverpool. So, you know, you've right. got this gay Jewish 26-year-old kid from Liverpool saying i found the next great rock and roll band who are going to be bigger than elvis 
who are going to elevate pop music into an art form. I mean, people laughed at him. You know, they said, mm -hmm. uh, you know, people like you don't do things like that. They said your dreams are stupid. And, uh, and he just pursued those dreams with passion and persistence and the world got the Beatles, you know? So mm -hmm. for me, that story was incredibly inspiring because I'm a first generation American. My parents were immigrants. The family's originally from India. You know, I was expected if, you know, to use the opportunities that I got to become a doctor or an engineer. Like if I was going to lift mm -hmm. myself up, that was what I was going to do. I wasn't going to become a comic book writer or a Broadway producer, you know, mm -hmm. but those were my dreams, you know? And when I discovered the Brian Epstein story, I thought, gosh, if the gay Jewish kid from Liverpool could bring the world the Beatles, then why couldn't the weirdo Indian kid, <laughs> child of immigrants from New York's Lower East Side, pursue a life in music? Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, that's why I know there's a lot of debate who deserves the title of Fifth Beatle. But that's why for me, Brian Epstein yeah. will always be the Fifth Beatle. And, you know, I always say that the, the message of this book, if it has one, if it has a single one, it's that no dream is too impossible and no person too unlikely to realize that dream. That's yeah. why, which is fantastic. Yeah, I mean, it's such an inspirational story. No, no, it's great. I mean, no, it's it's awesome, and it's it's. I think it's what makes this. You know, it's, again, it's the ten year anniversary. But for folks who haven't read it, I mean, it's a must read. This has been on my my best comics of all time list for you know basically the the ten plus years I've had it on Comic Book Herald. Um, it's it's beautifully brought to life by Andrew Robinson and Kyle Baker. But then, I mean, your reporting and kind of your story on this is is incredibly unique. This is this was a story that was definitely. I think buried in Beatles lore. Oh. You know, you think about as as big as they are, and yet this central figure is is kind of hidden. You know, and now now we have a lot more information, but a lot of that <laughs> comes from like your first hand reporting, you talking to people that were close to the story. Um, I'm curious, you know, so that you mentioned there's some controversy about oh, who is the fifth Beatle? <laughs> is it Brian Epstein? Is it George Martin? You can get other, you know. Here's here's what that leads me to ask: <laughs> What's a tougher fandom? Beatles fandom or comics fandom? <laughs> wow, um, you know they they are they are quite similar in their in their degree of passion. Um, but you know, look, the thing that's really awesome about both those fandoms is they're like families. You know, like you yeah. uh, if you reveal your deep comic fandom or your deep Beatles fandom, meaning that like you're not just a casual fan. Like you go, deep. Mm -hmm. like you're immediately sort of like a part of an inner circle, part of a secret family. You know, and um, and, you know, like members of any family, you might argue about things, but there's a lot, there's yeah, yeah. a lot of immediate respect. Like the hardcore Beatles fans, we love arguing about whether it's George Martin or Brian Epstein or Billy Preston or, you know, like that is like a yeah, heated, yeah. nasty conversation. That's a fun conversation, you know, and it's, it's totally the same way, I think, in comics, you know, arguing over what's the best title or who was the best writer on X-Men over the years or, you know, like, right, I mean, you know, right. these are these are these are love, love arguments. So I, I would say they're about the same, actually, and in, in really beautiful ways, in really beautiful ways. Yeah, yeah. No, that's a good answer. Definitely. There's I, I think it's interesting kind of in this cultural moment to be revisiting the fifth Beatle because Brian Epstein is yeah, obviously like the the bent of the graphic novel is this is not a man without flaws. This is not a man who does not make mistakes. It's a pretty tragic life. Um, you know, he's, he's very isolated by the end. You know, he, Brian Epstein manages the Beatles from, you know, whatever is 61 to let's say 67, his death right. when he accidentally overdoses on, on drugs. And he's, you know, he's pretty heavily using drugs to kind of, you know, you can tell just like 
just to kind of mute all the all the trauma and the the bigotry that he's facing while he's having like you said what is just like the dream of success beyond anyone's imagination it's a, you know it's a, it's a tragic story but there's this renewed sense i think of managers as like dark figures you know um the elvis movie came out not too long ago and you have tom hanks as the colonel right he's the, he's the villain of that story yeah. and you know yeah i think like youtube and, and commentary like it's full of the dark side of brian you know kind of stuff how do you think that fits the historical reality kind of kind of coloring him in the light of like managers who like ripped off the bands and and made bad deals and like how you know because the graphic novel doesn't hone in on that centrally you know it's not the key story what do you what do you think yeah i mean when you're you're, you mean sort of the the legacy of of artist managers the both the sharks and the and the good ones is that sort of and and epstein is kind of kind of fitting into that or does he to your mind just like totally break the mold yeah listen i mean you know i obviously am coming from a very specific place and analysis with with this this side of music history but but i believe that brian um broke the mold and and set a new standard you know i think what was critical uh, about brian was that he believed in his artist as a career artist and he had an incredible amount of love for his artist you know the 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 closest comparable before brian was colonel parker and we you know in in terms of an artist a manager who looked at his at his at his client as um somebody that he was uh, that was career oriented you know parker very famously said or infamously said and it's in my it's in the fifth beetle graphic novel you know that El, he didn't think of elvis as an artist but as an attraction you know so that there's yeah. your key difference between uh you know epstein and parker so so epstein you know while while he like parker saw in the beatles in his artist uh, an, uh, an artist that would stand the test of time and that, that could last for many generations he also really loved the the band. I mean, he really cared about them as individuals, um, and you know, I, you know, he he uh, called them his boys, and the press had a yeah. lot of fun with that, claiming oh, because he was gay, it was a, a salacious thing. And I don't think that's true. I think it's actually closer. I mean, I don't want to get too carried away with this analogy, but I think it's closer to like a paternal thing where like, you know, mm-hmm. as a gay man, he never, he knew he would never have children or he thought he would, you know, like, I mean, t- times have changed and there's a doctor yeah, yeah. gay marriage, but like, I don't think he could have dreamed of that back then. So he thought he would never have children. And the Beatles were in some ways the kids that he would never have. And, and like any good father, he would move mountains in, in service of his children, you know, and he yeah. was the first artist manager to do that. And listen, I, I loved Baz Luhrmann's film, and it's an incredibly accurate portrayal of Colonel Parker. And there's a lot of managers like that, um, I'm sad to say, out there. But I think Brian also created a new mold. And there were a lot of managers yep. that fell into Brian's wake. Uh, Peter Grant, who managed Led Zeppelin. Um, Lambert and Stamp, who managed The Who. Um, in the current day, uh, you look at John Landau, who manages Bruce Springsteen and has been with Bruce since the beginning of his career. I mean, these are managers right. who deeply loved their artists. Um, Kelly Curtis, who managed uh, Mother Love Bone and then Pearl Jam. I mean, th- these mm-hmm. are, art- are managers who I think, uh, and, and I, I guess maybe that was a little self-serving, Kerry, uh, uh, Kelly Curtis actually wrote a new introduction for The Fifth Beatle in which he compares his experience <laughs> Perfect, working yeah. uh, with Pearl Jam to you know what he saw in Brian and the Beatles. And, and I think, mm. you know, K- Kelly actually says it better than I do, you know, and, and, and no, and, really speaks from experience, but Brian set that mold for people like Kelly Curtis and John Landau and um, Peter Grant to, you know, care very deeply about their artists and not just be people who are ripping off the band. 
um, yeah. you know, or, or I said not just be, not be at all. You know, people who were actually servicing the band and believed that if their clients had success, so would they. Um, yeah. So I think Brian created a new mold is what I, is the answer is sort of the answer to your question. Yeah, no, that's great. I, I think in Epstein's case too, it does seem like a lot of the stuff that gets brought up is like examples of bad deals or or things where he like didn't tell the band about certain contracts or stuff like that is a lot of times just kind of like just kind of bad financial decision making, <laughs> you know, as opposed to anything malicious, um, which which does happen. You know, there. I, I'm glad you brought up the paternal sense and and kind of the relationship you know there's almost there is a familial dynamic with the beatles and certainly with the totally. fifth beetle um there was that that peter jackson uh helm documentary not to uh, get back right and yeah. i think at one point paul mccartney says like we're missing our daddy and he's talking oh about epstein yeah it's like you know I, I love that documentary for so many reasons but there is that brief exchange where he's like you know ever since mr and they called him mr brian they were like yeah. ever since mr brian left you know, it's been like playtime at the at, at the camp. We've had yeah. no discipline, and it's. I was like, oh my gosh, they're saying like there it is. Like yeah. I've been saying it for a decade. <laughs> and I'm like, if you don't believe me, like there it is. Paul and George are saying it. Yeah. You know? um, yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, it's it's a it's a passing little moment in in a in a very very long documentary. But you're absolutely right. I mean, they they literally say it. They say that you know since M Mr. Brian left the band. It's been like they've had no discipline and it's been like playtime at summer camp. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. You know, the, the, he, he really, you know, set them in line. He put them in line. I mean, J John Lennon um, did very famously outside of that documentary say that, um, you know, that there were only two people in his life that he ever listened to. And that was Yoko Ono and Brian Epstein. And mm. like, those are the only two people that he would ever like do what they said he should do. Yeah. Um, you know, he, he had a, a, a certain, um, uh, I was going to say hold over them, but that comes out wrong because yeah. it was because he, it was because he loved them and they saw that and they knew that it what this wasn't some sort of, you know, uh, uh, strangulation business sense or some sort of addictive weird thing where, you know, other managers have had holds over their artists that, that the artist can't get out of. This was a guy that really what was part of their family, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, you know, there, there is a lot of, talk over who deserves the title, the fifth Beatle, but for what it's worth, you know, um, there is Paul McCartney, um, said if anyone was the fifth Beatle, it was Brian. And then he actually went on to say in the same interview, um, he said, many people talk about George Martin as the fifth Beatle, but particularly in the early day, because of his contributions to the music, but particularly in the early days, Brian was very much a part of the group. Yeah, that's what he said. Yeah. And that was the early days before there was a George Martin, before there were record deals, right. before there were any of that. They were a struggling Liverpool group that nobody was paying attention to. They were considering breaking up because they had gone over to Hamburg. They did a stint over there. George Harrison got kicked out of the country. They came back to yeah. Liverpool. They weren't getting anywhere, you know, and they were literally considering calling it quits. And Brian found the band. They didn't have anything going for them. And he he believed, he saw something in them that he believed would 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 touch the world yeah. and, and join the group, really. I mean, that's why I think he deserves the title. Like, he, he, he believed before anyone else did, mm -hmm. you know? So, anyway, that's uh, that, that's my take on it, I suppose. Yeah, no, it's it's great. I mean, it, it is, it was fascinating watching that documentary for a lot of reasons. Um, but just the, the shadow of of mr brian as you say yeah, um yeah, still yeah. being so prevalent and so present you know two three years later um 
it's like in some ways it shouldn't be surprising, but I, I kind of wasn't fully prepared with it. Like they're still they're still feeling that loss, right? You can you can very For much sure. tell, and it makes sense. You know, they lost somebody near and dear to them. Um, okay, I thought it was interesting in the in the added material in the 2016 expanded edition. You mentioned trying to sequence uh, certain sections, like you mentioned. Um, I think the the chaos in the Philippines section, which is done by yeah. artist Kyle Baker, uh, set to the music of Help, right? Yeah. How how do you convey that, and how do you try to weave that into the storytelling experience? Um, obviously, like you said, you know, comics have the the disadvantage, if you will, of yeah. there's no auditory experience. So what? How does that work for you? Oh my gosh, I'm so glad you asked this question because the thing that I'm most excited about with this new edition, this anniversary edition of the Fifth Beetle. And I know it sounds so cheesy and self-serving and marketing-ish to say this, this, but but really, it's I'm, we're finally presenting the book in exactly the way I always wanted it to be. Yeah. Um, and what I mean by that is is it has music. Um, you know, it, it has a playlist at the beginning. Oh, nice. It has a, a, and a, so and it has a QR code, so you can scan the QR code and go straight to a playlist on Spotify. If you don't yeah. use Spotify, it's got the tracks listed, so you can put them together yourself. And it's it's a playlist that that is kind of across the board. It might surprise some people. Like, yes, of course, it has Beatles songs on it, but it also has a Bauhaus song, and it has some Stone mm. Roses songs on it. It has a Sixpence None the Richer song on it. You know, mm. so everything from British bands that followed in the Beatles' wake to Christian bands from the U.S. <laughs> like, mm. like how does mm. that fit? And um, and you'll see. I, there's also a um, an essay that I've included, what I call liner notes. Uh, that explain where each of those songs belongs in the text. Ooh. So so it really is a soundtrack. You know, it's not just a playlist of, it's not just songs that inspired me while I was writing it. In fact, it's yeah. not that at all. It's literally like, this is the song that I imagined playing during this sequence. I love that. Graphic yeah. novel. Yeah. Um, it really is a playlist. Like I imagined Bauhaus's All We Ever Wanted Was Everything. Um, uh, uh, right at the beginning uh, in the Liverpool in the rain sequence. And, mm. and you know, ho hopefully you'll pick up the expanded edition and you'll you'll be able to see it and listen along. But for those of you who already have the book, just go and pull up that Bauhaus song um, and, and look at the first page that Andrew Robinson uh, painted so beautifully. And I think you'll get it. You know, you'll, yeah, you'll, yeah. you'll see how it works so beautifully. And, um, and very often in, in the script, uh, the, the graphic novel script, I, I mentioned song tracks to like be inspired by. And, uh, you know, a, a very particular one is the one that you mentioned uh, in the chaos in the Philippines sequence that Kyle Baker drew. I imagine that being set to the song Help and, and it's very madcap and it sort of like ties into those uh, Beatles um, cartoons, not not the Yellow Submarine ones, but the one the, the television series ones. Yeah always had one or two songs and they were always like played with the Beatles running around doing something crazy happened. Somebody's chasing them. Yeah. You know? And, uh, and which is also not, un not unlike the movie help if you've seen help. Um, so the song, uh, the song really fit in that sequence, but the expand, this new anniversary edition is, is filled with that. And that to me, there, there's a few other, um, uh, new content. There's a new sketchbook section. There's a new cover. There's a few new additional, um, uh, material in this new edition, but the the playlist and the soundtrack that it comes with, to me, is the the core new feature, if you will. And uh, and I'm really not saying this as her hyperbole. It really is finally getting to present the book the way I always wanted it to to be, because I always imagined music going along with the book. And that goes back to the very first thing we were talking about in this chat is that for me, music is where it all begins. It's where mm -hmm. it all starts. So so to be able to present this book literally with music um is is kind of the dream the dream come true for for it that's super so. cool no i love that i mean i i 
am definitely the type of listener who I like to find thematic soundtracks for comics I'm reading, you know, so if I'm reading a cosmic book, you know, I might want to throw on, um, you know, like, like a very like heavy metal kind of like cosmic kind of riffs, right. Or whatever. But like to have obviously a book about specific music, you do want to know like, Oh, like what are the songs they're writing in 61? Right. You know, there are they ending their sets with long tail Sally. Like, what does that sound like? How does that fade or whatever? You know, like that's the, Oh, that's so additive. I, I really enjoy that. Um, very cool. Very cool. You know, it occurred to me that you asked a question about comics that I, that I may not have properly answered, which is like sort of why I thought of it as the comics medium. Yeah, first. yeah, sure. Yeah. And you know, the, the easy answer to that question or like the simple one might be just like, I've, I love comics and I've always wanted to, to write a comic. Yeah. But but I really did see the book, um, you know, as you know, because because we've talked a lot about music and you said, you know, why not a musical? Was it because of music rights? And look, yeah. music rights is always an issue, but it wasn't. You know, I, I always saw the story as being very visual. Um, and very color oriented. You know, I think that Brian came into the world uh, with the Beatles, like the, the minute when the story sort of begins, we talked about that first page that Andrew Robinson drew. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's very black and white. It, and it, 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 to, to be technical, it's black, white, and blue, yeah. but it's really just those three colors. It's drab, it's gray, it's depressing, it's, it's very industrial. And that's what the world I think was like um, before when brought before the Beatles, before Brian was with the Beatles, mm. and then what they did together was they they took a black and white world and and gave it color, you know. And by the end of the book, by those crazy madcap Kyle Baker pages that we talked about that are set to help, you're in full Technicolor, you're in yeah. bright neon yeah. colors, you know. And uh, and in 1967, you know, there there is an event in the UK literally called a Technicolor Dream, you know. So so. Um, you know, I think Brian and the Beatles took a black and white world and infused it with color. And I think the medium that best uses color as a narrative tool uh, is is graphic novels, is comics. Mm-hmm. And so to me, uh, there was always a very deep artistic reason to do it as a comic book first, even though comics, uh, you know, don't 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 break out into songs, so to speak. <laughs> right. Although this graphic, the expanded, the anniversary edition will do its best to do that. <laughs> but but that's really why I chose comics and, and why I chose artists like Andrew Robinson and Kyle Baker, because they because they utilize the medium in, in all its glory. You know, they're, right. they're really amazing artists. So no, anyway. I'm glad you call that out because it is it's it's very easy with books about music to focus on the limitation of not being able to hear it as opposed to, well, what are all the other reasons I love comics in the first place <laughs> and yeah, how those yeah. get highlighted, right? And how you can use that to tell the story differently. And that, yeah, no, that's that's a great call out. It definitely works here. Um, speaking of comics and the connect, actually, before we move on from the fifth Beatle, um, yeah. 10 years later, the anniversary, you mentioned some of the really cool additive features that'll be in this edition. Uh, what do you think is the thing that has changed for you the most, you know, a decade later in terms of like, how the story resonates or or elements of this, or like maybe even just, you know, after this book came out, Brian Epstein shortly thereafter was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Like, do you feel like the, the perception has changed, you know, in certain ways? Like it's t- now 10 years later? You know, I don't know that it, it, I wouldn't, I don't know that I would necessarily say the perception has changed, um, although I'd like to believe that. I, I think it's, it's still a difficult world for people who have untraditional dreams. Yeah. And it's certainly very specific to Brian. It's certainly a difficult world um, for people who are gay and Jewish. There's still a lot of homophobia and anti-Semitism and anti-LGBTQ sentiment, right. uh, legislation, et cetera. There, we are still fighting these fights. Um, so I, I don't, I think the perspective has 
changed, maybe not enough, you know, I wouldn't, you know, it's always changing. Um, but, but I guess what to me is most gratifying and, and the reason why I think it's even worth making a 10th anniversary edition and why I think people will both enjoy it and, and, and it will do well, um, not to be so business oriented about it, but why, you know, why would you put it out? Will anyone buy it? It's 10 years old. I think people will. And I think old fans will discover new elements will make new fans. And I, I think the reason for that is that. Um, the world is more willing to hear these stories. Mm-hmm. And that's different than a change of perspective. I think there's a, there is a, an, acceptable, a, an acceptable nature of telling these stories that wasn't there um, in the, the edition you, you referred to that was about five or six years ago and yeah. certainly wasn't there in the original printing of the book 10 years ago. I think now, you know, telling the story of the queer Jewish manager of the Beatles, just stopping there, if I just said that, like, that doesn't sound radical or controversial or anything like that. Whereas yeah, ten yeah. years ago, ooh, a queer Jewish manager of a big, uh, ooh, tell me what that sounds. You know, some people would bristle at that. Now it's like, okay, that's interesting. Tell me more. Yeah, you know, and, and so so I think the world is more open to these stories than it used to be. Doesn't mean it's accepting everywhere, but it but but those stories are um, are in the ether. So I think there's a there's a bigger audience for it than there ever was mm-hmm. and, um, and that's what i'm really excited about and that's been the thing that i think has been most gratifying is watching things like brian be inducted into the hall of fame watching more people know who he is still more, more people need to and, and that's why i'm still on a mission here um but i do think that uh that there's um there's an openness that wasn't there before i, I certainly don't want to suggest there's th- that the world is open but it's more open Yeah, no, it it does. I think just from like a market standpoint, too. I mean, there are a lot more comics, especially in the YA spaces, featuring queer leads, um, you know, minority stories. Uh, There's an explosion of that, certainly. And I think that's that is a response to recognition of there's an audience, right? There's a growing audience for these types of stories. Like you're saying, that meets quote unquote controversy. It meets anger. It meets backlash. It meets bigotry. Um, but the stories keep coming <laughs> and, yeah, and, they're, and they're the audiences keep growing. Yeah. Yeah. There, and you know, I mean that, that, and maybe I'm putting a business note on it, but, but it's a, it's an important note, you know, uh, they keep getting published and publisher, the publishing industry is a difficult industry, whether you're a major publisher or a, or a small indie publisher, yeah, absolutely. It, it's hard to make money in publishing and those books wouldn't get published if there wasn't an audience for it. That's just right. a, a basic business fact. Yeah. So the fact that these books are being published is is huge, and and uh, there's still lots of work to do. So please go out and, and buy those books. Um, <laughs> yeah. But uh, but but um, it, it, we should also celebrate the fact that 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 there are LGBTQ sections uh, in a graphic novel uh, section, you know, within a graphic novel section of a cool bookstore these days. Yeah, and uh, right. and that, that's that's amazing, because I will tell you that was not the case when The Fifth Beetle was, was first published 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, that, that does seem like a very positive progression that we want to keep fighting for. Um, final Fifth Beatles question. I don't know how much you can say about it. It's been in production on the TV side for a long time, something you've talked about writing the screenplay for. Um, what if what status is it at? Oh gosh, I would I unfortunately can't say much okay. about that, and that's because you're interviewing me at a very particular moment in time where yes. there are two strikes, not one but two strikes going on in Hollywood. Uh, there's the WGA strike, and the writers are striking, 
and there and I'm a member of the WGA uh, as well. So I, I cannot, even though it's my project, I technically cannot be working on the Fifth Beetle. Yeah, uh, because we are striking, and uh, and also there's an actor strike, so we cannot be casting the Fifth Beetle because the actors are striking. Mm-hmm. So so there's um. There's Everything's on of, on pause. Everything is on pause, and people are also very sensitive to this, you know. And you know, there's obviously because it's my thing, I'm constantly thinking about it. But um, people don't want to say that they're working on things because then they get called out for not being in solidarity. Right. So it's a particularly sensitive time where creators are not wanting to talk about their film and television things until the yeah. strikes. Are- so I will humbly ask uh, you and your audience to to check back with us, you know? <laughs> <laughs> right. No, I get that. I, I, I expected yeah. that was the answer, um, but I wanted to make sure. I, I saw even uh, Victor Laval is a, a great horror writer and, and writes some great comics that I've had on before. And I saw he's got, um, there's an Apple TV series coming out that's adapting one of his books, The Changeling. And I saw him saying, you know, he, he won't, like he can't do interviews. He can't do promo um, and, and is standing by that. And it's like, the thing's already made. It's already coming, you know, and it's like that level of of commitment, right, to I think what is is a very valid, like a lot of very valid battles are being fought right now but for writers and artists, you know, but it is just like, yeah, that, like that only hurts him in the short term, you know what I mean? But long term, like it's going to be better for everyone. So totally get it. Totally get where you're Yeah, from. look, it's, it's, it is a, a long game, you know, I've, as, as we've been saying throughout this chat, um, you know, it's a 10-year anniversary of the fifth beetle but it's you know a good 10 years before that that i was working on it you know i've been out at this project this love of brian and and, and this mission to tell his story uh, you know has been uh, literally with me for more than half my life so yeah. you know if it takes more years to get the uh, the the film or tv adaptation off the ground you know to do it right to make sure the writers are taken care of and the actors are taken care of and it's done in the right way with the right studio and the right creative team then it'll take an extra few years. I mean, yeah. that you know, it's okay. It's okay to play the long game. You know? Yeah. No, I'm good. That, that seems like the healthiest attitude, especially in that yeah. industry. Um, it hurts in the short term, as you were saying. Yeah, it's, no, I bet. It's very painful in the short term. But, uh, you know, just try to keep your, your eyes on the prize and your heart in the right place. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. Uh, yeah. You talked about um, previously Will Eisner's A Contract With God uh, yeah. as, a, as a musical, that this is... Um, something that your production company is working on. I, I reread the first, uh, the chunk, the first A Contract with God story last night. Are you planning to adapt specifically that story of, of Frim Hirsch or like the whole extended Dropsy Avenue, uh, you know, trilogy? Yeah, no, no. So, so we are... Um... Uh, we are definitely going to use the four stories that are in the Contract with God graphic novel. Um, yeah. For those of you who are listening that don't that haven't read it, go out and buy it and read it immediately. Yeah, it's fantastic. It's a beautiful yeah. and seminal uh, piece of work, and um, it consists of four interweaving stories that take place uh, all within an, a certain tenement building on Dropsy Avenue. And we are our contract with God musical will definitely include all four of those those stories. So it'll include the street singer and Bukalini and you know all all of those stories. You you also refer to the graph the contract with God trilogy. Um, For those of you who don't know, there there's also two other books. Um, There there's a Life Force and there's Dropsy Avenue, the neighborhood, and um, that we're not sure about yet. Okay. Um, so it will definitely include the four stories that are that make up the contract with the a contract with God graphic novel. But the two other of Will Eisner's books that um, that are loosely called the Contract with God trilogy, 
um, to answer your question in a very specific business uh, uh, answer, we do have the right to use the, that those those stories in our musical, mm -hmm. and we are now writing and developing it. Um, we actually, I, I can't, uh, I can't tell you more right now, but we, be, be, uh, for for a number of reasons, but we actually have secured our writer, our book writer, and um, we have announced the the composing team. Um, you know, that that's not a secret. It's um, Lisa Loeb, Jill Sabule, Ryan Miller from the band Guster, hmm. uh, Modest Yahoo, and Sam Hollander. Um, all who are, you know, you can look them up, and you'll see that if you if you don't know them, they, there's a very diverse. Um, set of artistic genres and talents there they're yeah. also all um very deeply um they care very deeply about their jewish heritage yeah and many of them also um, have connections to to the immigrant story so um so they're very right for a contract with god um and so anyway music is being written story is being written and we are right now figuring out how much of those other books we may want to draw on. You may see characters, you may see story elements. So I'm answering your question honestly. We have the right to put those other books in, um, but I, we haven't made those decisions yet. Sure. But I can tell you for, that we are absolutely including the four stories that make up the core of Contract with God graphic novel. All of those will be in there. So it won't just be the story of Freeman Hirsch. Love it, love it. Oh man, Modest Yahoo is so big. And when I was at the end of my high school years, like, yeah, he, was, like, like, yeah, he was so huge. That's fascinating to hear he's doing music for this. Um, I'm, I'm yeah. super curious to see it now. Uh, okay. No, that's awesome. I, how do you, th there's a really interesting thing that you do where like American Idiot was another album that I absolutely fell head over heels for. Never in a million years thought, oh, this will translate well to Broadway. <laughs> Obviously you had a lot of like, of like, my life. <laughs> totally of my right life. everyone said about the fifth beetle graphic novel they were like it's about the manager like isn't that <laughs> management just like faxes and phone calls yeah and sounds boring how's that going to be an interesting graphic novel yeah i i feel like you're very good at finding these <laughs> angles right you find these angles of uh, of cross-media promotion what is what is it with a contract with god where you're like that's my in like that's oh, like this is going to be big and this is why yeah listen i mean you know i um I am I am not Jewish. I know it's a very Jewish story, but I, yeah. I am a child of immigrants and I am a New Yorker. And I think like those are the key elements of that story. And, you know, we could have another conversation about the similarities between the Jewish cultural heritage and the, the Hindu um, religion, which is oh, the, sure. you know, where my religious background um, lies. So there were a lot about a contract with God and that um, that deeply inspired me and impacted me. Uh, you know, this is also something that I read when I was just a fan. You know, this is not something in my professional life I discovered and thought this would make a great musical. Right, Let me right. go get the rights. It's something that I, I read and loved, you know, when I was a kid, you know, and um, and I see the world in music. And I know that for many people, the hearing a contract with God graphic, like graphic novel being turned into a musical might sound like travesty, might sound awful. But for me, it just always made sense. You know, that 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 key visual of. Freeme Hirsch with his hands up in the air and the rain is falling and he's railing against God because, you know, God took away uh, his daughter, his child mm -hmm. died of cancer. And like and, and he's just um, he's so furious and the sky is literally bursting open. Yeah. You broke my contract. You know, to me, it's like, oh, my God, that's a, of course, that's a song. Of course, that's music. Mm. Of course, you know, like that's the way I look at it. And I, I can promise that anyone who's listening, it's not going to be cheesy. It's not going to be jazz hands. We will treat this <laughs> much the same way that anybody yeah. who 
first heard about American Idiot, you know, might have thought, oh my God, Green Day on Broadway, they're going to destroy it. It's going to be terrible. It's going to be cheesy. Yeah. And then, you know, they it, it wasn't, I, I, I think. And then the fans will have agreed over the years, you mm-hmm. know, and Green Day worked with us on it and we did it right. We're, we're going to do the same thing here. But, um, you know, th- this really, I, I, I was joking story of my life, but it kind of is, you know, I, I like these on these work, the, these, you know, as I said, I, I, what I try to do is shift the paradigm for music and entertainment. When people think Green Day doesn't belong on Broadway, it's like, well, I think it, they do. And I'm going to show you how. And a contract with God, like, maybe it doesn't even need to be adapted and it certainly shouldn't be a musical. It's like, well, I think both of those things are true. Mm-hmm. You know, I think the, the adaptation will, sh- will allow us to show sides of it that, that haven't, that aren't obvious in the book that pay homage to Will's other work. As, mm. as you pointed out, there are other New York stories. And I think we'll introduce A Contract with God to, an, to a bigger audience. There are people who I think will come see the musical who may not know the graphic novel or yeah, may not totally. pick up the graphic novel. And I hope on their way out of the theater, they'll they'll stop by the merch booth and buy the graphic novel. Yeah, so right. Um, you know, and, and it's, you know, I, I and people who may not have heard the Brian Epstein story or may not want to read a 300 page biography on the Beatles, uh, they'll pick up a, a, you know, 120 page graphic novel. That's a fun read, you know, so this is always my mission. How can we take stories that people don't think belong in their medium and do it right and, yeah. and introduce the world to something that hopefully will be new and inspiring. That's yeah. what I seek to do in my work. And, and I think if you look, look at it through that filter, a contract with God makes perfect sense. Yeah, no, I'm not. I, I'm not doubting it anymore. Uh, <laughs> because, well, <thanks> for that. <laughs> definitely, because uh, you know, I see because like, like I said, like you see American Idiot, you see um, Jagged Little Pill, and it's like, oh, okay, yeah, like I see it now. Um, and I feel like audience, like audiences are, I think, a little more understanding. Like you've you and and some others have broken that ground. Like Fun Home having the success that totally. it did, it's yeah, like totally. never in a million years. You know, reading that uh, 15 years ago. Um, but then now it's like. That that does wonders for that graphic novel. I think that's an amazing thing to do for the Will Eisner collection too, because he's this legend, the absolute you know Mount Rushmore of comics, right? Well, you got to have Eisner up there. The awards are literally named after him, and yet, I think when you go to modern audiences, it's a little hard to find the in, you know, in terms of the collection. Like people, oh, read the Spirit, and it's like, well, where? Like it doesn't have the ongoing, easy uh, sort of ins, like you know the Amazing Spider-Man does or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, despite its legacy, so I feel like it could, it could really boost Eisner's profile, which sounds maybe crazy to comics audiences, as if he doesn't have one already. But it's like more people should read this it, stuff. It's fantastic. It's not crazy. I mean, the the number of people, as I've been developing this project, that I've sent the book to, who said, uh, you know, I didn't know this book, and and then thankfully after they read it, said, and I can't believe that I didn't know it. Yeah, yeah, you know, right. How, how I not know about this, you know, but but it's it's most. I'll be totally frank, and so so I think that that's a real part of the mission here is without question is to expose his wills to the world. And, and you know, as you're right, like that might sound strange to co- us comics fans, but when you get out of that and, and there's a lot of us there, but when you get out of that, that comics fan um, bubble, it's a big bubble. But when, when you get out of it, you'll see that a lot of people don't know the Will Eisner legacy or, right. or don't know enough of it, you know? Right. Um, no, very so, cool. Yeah. No, it's exciting. I'm, I'm very curious to see what that's going to look like. Thank um, you. Okay. Uh, so we got the fifth Beatle. People check that out if you haven't already. There's going to be a new edition from, uh, it's going to be released by Dark Horse. That'll be in shops. Um, a contract with God's on the horizon. That's going to be super cool. Uh, what, I don't know if you can talk about this, but what are your, what would be like a dream album to work with? 
Like what are like what are just growing up you were like these were the most meaningful like like music to me that you you would just love to work with someday. You know I I am uh I'm honestly not trying to dodge the question but it, but it's it's this it's this one that I'm doing it's the Beatles, you know. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, sure. You know, I feel like that was the one. It's like, you know, I I was a huge, you know, they're my favorite band in the world. I you know, my, my parents love the Beatles and I, you know, I, I know that they were listening to the Beatles when my mom was pregnant. So I say like, you know, I was listening to the Beatles when I was in the womb. They were the first band I probably ever listened to. Yeah. Um, so like to get to, to tell a Beatles story that's widely not known and to be, you know, planning an adaptation of it that will have music in it and, and to be putting out this anniversary edition that, that has music in it, that has a playlist mm -hmm. like that to me, it's, it's not a specific album. It's a, it's catalog yeah. Beatles catalog, but like, that's the dream come true. I mean, it really is. I, I, I honestly don't have any like, gosh, I, there's this one album that I'd really love to adapt. I mean, I got to work on American idiot. I was a producer on that. I was a lead producer of jagged little pill. I've, I've been very, very fortunate. I hope I don't sound like I'm bragging. It's it's quite the opposite. I feel very humble and, and great and filled with gratitude that I've been able to produce work with these amazing albums. And I have to say there isn't one out there that I'm chasing that I, you know, I, I'm very fortunate to have, have already gotten to do, uh, a lot, see a lot of my dreams come true. Yeah, no, very cool. I, do you, you're obviously very busy. Do you feel the itch to do another comic? Oh yeah, I mean, I I love comics. I mean, it's as I as I mentioned earlier, it's it's probably my favorite of all the mediums. Um, so I I would love to do another comic. I'll be honest that I don't have one in the works. Yeah, um, there's a few things that I've wanted to do over the years that I just you know I got Jagged Little Pill, my my most recent Broadway show. It was an eight year journey to the stage. It takes it's a okay. long time to get these things off the off the ground. So yeah. I got sort of focused on that and. So, um, so the short answer is yes. The longer answer is, um, is I'm not sure when I'm going to be able to do that, but, but I do have a few ideas and, um, and I will say they're all music oriented. So, um, so stay tuned, uh, but, cool. but be patient. <laughs> Can I say that? To, Absolutely. To Absolutely. Stay tuned and be patient, but know that I love the medium and, uh, and, and the fifth beetle is not a one-off for me. I can tell you that. Cool, cool. I've got a recommendation for you, and maybe you've Please. already read it, but um, have you read Dave Chisholm's Chasing the Bird, the Charlie Parker Oh, um, yes, yes, jazz yes. biography? Yes. Okay, yes. graphic novel? Okay. It's fantastic, yeah, yeah Really, yeah. really great artwork yeah. and, uh, and storytelling and ability to, to do similar things that I think The Fifth Beetle cap captures, which is, you know, how do you convey that feeling of, of hearing something amazing? on on the page right um okay i'm glad you read it <laughs> I, I, I mean look and it, it's it's so gratifying to see more music more music stories being told mm -hmm. in the graphic novel medium i mean that's another thing 10 years ago like the beetle was a you know it wasn't the only one but but there, but we were in a small group of music stories being told in graphic yeah. novels yeah definitely and, uh, and, now, and now you know you you could have an entire section of music graphic novels um you know in, in a bookstore I'm, I'm not sure that store stores will do that but <laughs> no, yeah i mean it is kind of a cottage industry yeah, now there's definitely a lot more um artist collaboration on stuff no too you know i've seen like blondie is getting involved you got pete wentz from fallout boys writing a grab like there's a lot more dipping toes into what can comics oh, I mean, do now the, yeah i mean the crossover is intense i mean you know uh you know gerard way is, is a is, yeah you totally know, we, we we comics fans might claim him more than music fans yeah but, right but he's probably in a uh a great example of somebody that like literally 
comics wasn't an afterthought. I mean, like it, it was, these are two art forms that, that he loves. And, uh, and I think there's many of us out there and, uh, and I'm looking forward to see more work in that space. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. All right. Well, this has been fantastic, Vivek. Uh, I've, I've really enjoyed talking with you. Um, again, love the work. We're going to include links in the show notes when we post this and all that Thanks fun stuff. So much. Is there anything else that you want to make sure uh, people know about before we let you go? No, you've you've asked me all all the the questions I, I could have dreamed of, of chatting about. <laughs> okay, good, it's been great, it's been a lot of fun, and thank you for the support. It's been um, it's been really such a, a joy, and and I've used the word a few times, but it's been humbling to see the over the past ten years to see how many folks from from the comic world, from the Jewish community, from the LGBT community, from the Beatles fandom community, how many of of those communities have embraced this book. So I'm, I'm just, um, you know, it, it feels like it really lives outside of me. Like, yeah, I might be the writer and the, one of the creators, but, but this book belongs to the world really. So I, I, I thank all those, all, everyone who's supported this book over the past 10 years. I, I thank you for your support. And, um, and I hope you'll check out the new edition. It really, it really is different. It really does have some new things in it. So all right. thank you so much for, Amazing. for, for having me on. Yeah. Thanks for your time.